Well, today I want to talk to you about being better together. And I sort of mentioned some of those things uh, in the time of communion. And uh, one of the big questions asked today is this. Is there anything at all that we as Americans have in common with each other? We're divided in so many ways. There's red states and there's blue states and there's Republicans. There's Democrats. There's pro-life and there's pro-choice. There's pro-immigrant. There's build-the-wall people. There's all different kinds of people. And it's not just political divisions. It's divisions of all kind, even lifestyle divisions. Um, I have an Instagram account. Uh, follow me if you want to. Uh, it's C Meekins, S-E-E-M-E-E-K-I-N-S. Okay, at C Meekins. I have an Instagram account. And one of the accounts that I follow besides my beautiful wife's is, uh, is this one called Overheard LA. Has anyone ever heard of this? Yes, okay, my wife's heard of it. Awesome. But it's also very bright here. All of you might be raising your hands. Well, Overheard LA, what they do is they collect different things that they hear in LA. And so they're really funny. Um, I can't recommend it as a pastor, but they're really funny. And, uh, and, and so because, you know, some of them are a little hot, and I just don't want an email like, you recommended this, and someone used a bad word or whatever. But anyway, you go on there, and so basically what have, well, how it works is people hear it, and people hear something, they're like, oh, this is funny. This is so L.A. And they send it to the person that runs Overheard L.A., and then they post it. And there was one that was really interesting recently, and uh, it reads like this. And I think we have a graphic of it. It says, the worst part of L.A. is that everyone is true to themselves, and honestly, sometimes that's bad. Um, it's kind of funny. It's really actually sad. I think it was like a barber cutting hair, and he was like, honestly, everyone is true to themselves. So, like, with all the division we experience in this country, uh, and the, all, the whole idea of being true to yourself, on the other hand, uh, there's, a, there's a, a sociologist professor, his name is Robert Bela. He used to do some work at Harvard. He also did some work at Berkeley. Uh, he actually says that despite all the division we experience in our country, there is one thing that really does hold us all in common. And wherever we live or whatever our religion or however we vote or wherever, whatever our color of skin is, we all subscribe to the notion of individualism. Individualism. The right of every individual to choose their own beliefs and path in life according to their own conscience. And this is the idea that we have the right to decide what's best for us. Uh, and maybe you've heard people say things like this. You just need to follow your heart. Don't listen to the crowd. Just follow your heart. Or it's my choice. No one has the right to tell me what to do. It's my body. I will do with it whatever I please. It's my life. I will determine who I marry and how long I stay married. It's my head. No one should tell me if I have to wear a helmet when I ride a bird scooter. Or uh, no one should tell me I have to wear a seatbelt. It's my sacred right to hit my head on the pavement if I want to. Jesus, take the wheel. And so individuals, individualism, we are the center of our own world, but there's also division. And we, we can recognize here that our individualism, the thing that we pretty much have in common with everyone, is probably a contributor to the division we experience. And at Pacific City Church, we're a part of a family of churches called the Vineyard. And we believe that the vineyard and our church, we, at this church, we actually offer a balance and a correction to some of the American individualism that we experience. And we believe that the human conscience is sacred, that we should have the right to make decisions. We don't want to take that right away from anyone. But we need to remember that we're in this thing called life together. And maybe, just maybe, our little individual selves, our unique, one-of-a-kind selves, we're not going to be able to make it alone. 
We need each other. We've got to find a way to stay connected to one another. And I believe the church offers a solution to the individualism and the division that we face. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I've called today's talk Better Together. Will you pray with me? Uh, God, we welcome you here today. And, uh, you know, we've, we've asked this like a number of times. Uh, you know, the guy, uh, Jimmy, who led worship, prayed about it. And our announcements people prayed and I prayed. And so we just keep praying. And we just want you, God, to do your thing today. And so I ask that you would help me to speak as I should, that you would uh, speak to people here, that you would let them know um, that you're with them, and that you would speak to them specifically about things in their life that you want uh, to build into and to change or to inspire. Uh, God, we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be looking at something written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is dead. He was killed back in the day. But what we know about Paul is that he wrote most of the, the second half of the Bible. After Jesus died and rose again, uh, there was a few people that were with Jesus that wrote a few books of the Bible. That's called the New Testament. But most of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians 5. We have Bibles in the back if you want, or you can follow on the screen. And 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 12, it reads like this. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with one uh, another or with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test all of them. Hold on to what is good. Reject whatever is harmful. So, what does this all mean? Well, one way that American individualism, the thing that I just described in my introduction, collides uh, with what the Apostle Paul says about the church and about people is this. And we hear this objection a lot in Los Angeles, and I think it's a pretty widely accepted thing that we hear across the country. Maybe you've heard it too. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Spiritual, but not religious. Everyone these days claims to be spiritual. Every celebrity, everyone who appears on a women's talk show between the hours of 1 and 5 p.m., uh, every Hollywood actor and actress Being spiritual is really fashionable. Being religious is wildly unfashionable. And the thinking seems to go something like this. Being religious means submitting to some old, old old-fashioned rules or hierarchical dogma. It's just a tool for some oppressive organization to hold you down, and you need to break free. Of course, one of the reasons why people like the term spiritual but not religious is because religious institutions are guilty of a lot of sin. Uh, we're prone to sin. The persecution of the Jews by the church comes to mind. So does religious intolerance and religious wars and even the recent scandals around sexual abuse in the church. And there is a sinful side to religious organizations because religious organizations are human institutions and humans are prone to sin. And the response, of course, to that is that you don't have to be religious uh, to actually be a sinner. You can find plenty of sin among atheists as well. Uh, For instance, uh, if you just look at the human rights record of atheistic governments 
like the Soviet Union or China or Cambodia under the communist rule, these aren't really something to cheer about. Uh, Human beings sin, and what that means is religious human beings sin and non-religious human beings sin. So for a lot of reasons today, people object to church or any kind of religious organization. They say that they're spiritual, but not religious. I'm spiritual. I'm freed up from the unnecessary dogma and doctrines taught by the church. If that stuff works for you, that's fine. Just keep it away from me. I'm happy. I'm just a happy person with what works for me. I don't subscribe to any set of organized beliefs. That would be too confining. My faith is between me and God. Well, the problem with spiritual but not religious approach to life is this, is that while faith is an issue between you and God, it's not just an issue between you and God. None of us functions alone in life. We all need to be challenged. We all need to be corrected about things in our life. We need to be corrected about everything. Spiritual matters are no exception to beliefs and viewpoints that could be completely wrong. Let me put it this way. If you were wrong about something, how would you know? How would you know if you were wrong? The reason you would know you were wrong about like driving on the wrong side of the road or like being mean to someone in your family is that someone would be telling you that. And so like you would be in some sort of community. And so being alone doesn't function, doesn't work for that. And so if you don't belong in some sort of religious community, then, you know, uh, if you not, you don't have someone who's willing to challenge you about God and your lifestyle and your beliefs and experiences, then you're missing out because we all tend to think that we're correct about almost everything. And this isn't true. We need to be straightened out in our thinking. And the way we do that is we allow people to challenge us. Like I said, spiritual matters are no exception. And the truth of truth of the matter is this. Other people can teach us a lot. Not only does being connected to other people in the church correct my ideas about life and about God, it not only challenges me about my personal behavior and what I do uh, when I'm with people or when I'm alone, not only can I learn from others, but being connected to a church, a community of other people, corrects my tendency to think that I'm the center of the universe. It tends to challenge me because uh, around the idea that I have all the answers that I know better than anyone else. Because it's just not true. I don't. And neither do you. And there's no way to grow more in humility. And there's no way to actually, let me rephrase. There's no way to grow in humility that is necessary for the spiritual life unless you're deeply connected to other people who you allow to challenge you. And the thing that kills the spiritual life is pride and self-centeredness. The thing that makes the spiritual life move forward is humility and openness to other people. I must allow people to talk to me about my weaknesses, about my blind spots. What is a blind spot? A blind spot you can't see. You need someone to tell you about your blind spots. I need someone to tell me me about my blind spots. Uh, We must allow people to talk to us about our wrong-headed thinking, and we must allow others to teach me and show me what I don't know. And in short, the spiritual but not religious mentality is self-defeating if you're trying to do the spiritual life alone. We need each other. And when we look at what Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians 5, this is a big thing. And I see five things I want to point out. I'm going to work through them pretty quickly. Um, The first one is this. The church is the family of God. Church is the family of God. Look in verse 12. I think we have a slide. It says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you 
uh, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Uh, verse 14, now we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Verse 25, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Verse 26, greet all God's people with a holy kiss. Actually, this word people that's underlined, it's a mistranslated word from the Greek. The Greek word is actually Adelphoi or Adelphus. Uh, in verse 26, that's where we get the word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. So again, it means brothers and sisters. And then again, in verse 27, I charge you in the Lord to have this letter read before all the brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. Five times he mentions brothers and sisters. What is Paul doing here? Paul is telling us that the church at its most fundamental level is not an institution. It's not an organization. The church is family. And we are brothers and sisters, and God is our father. And our family is big. Our family is not just other Christians at Pacific City Church or other vineyards across the city or the country. We have an extended family with all of God's children in every church in Los Angeles, across the United States, and across the globe. And you see, the church was meant to offer a sense of family. We can offer friendship. We can offer community to everyone. We can offer community of brothers and sisters. And we all need friends. We all need people that we can spend our lives with, folks that we can vacation with, folks that we can hang out with, uh, folks that we can laugh with and cry with and we can grieve with and pray with and debate with. We all need extended family. Single people, you need extended family. Married people, you are, don't need just each other. It's not enough. You need extended family. Everyone needs a sense of family. And here's the point. Churches ought to be better at connecting people to friends and a sense of family better than anyone else on earth. We are designed to be a family. The church is family. So what else do we discover? Um, uh, What else do we discover about church? Paul speaks to us about the church's leaders. Not only are we a family, but he speaks specifically about leaders. Uh Uh-oh, I'm the leader. This one's about me. Uh, In verse 2, or the second thing is church's leaders work hard, serve, and warn. Now, notice what Paul says about the church's leaders. And so um, in verse 12, it says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. The first thing we see about church leaders is that they work hard. Now, occasionally people will joke with me and say, Chris, what do you do besides get up and give a little talk every uh, Sunday for a half hour? And I say, well, not much, really. I just... Oftentimes, just go to the ocean during the week and just look out over the ocean and try to think about what kind of uh, dairy alternatives I can offer you here in the courtyard. Like, it's just like, like what kind of almond milk would be good for your soul? Uh, and also, like, providing leadership and pastoring a group of about 100 people who call Pacific City Church or home, that's really easy uh, because everyone in Pacific City Church is pretty perfect. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we don't have any problems here. And, uh, and so, yeah. But what, what is the point Paul is making? Paul is saying that pastors work hard. Pastors work hard. The Greek word that he actually uses is, is the word used for manual labor. To toil, to struggle, to strive, to grow weary. And he actually uses the word for pastoring that has to do with farm laborers, people who sweat and strain uh, for their work. And so the point is this. If you do not have a great work ethic, If you can't find the self-starter button that you have on you and hit it every morning and get up, then you need to find another calling other than church leadership. The second, I think I'm just preaching to myself there, but (laughs) 
So anyway, the second thing that Paul says about pastors is this. Pastors are servant leaders. In verse 12, again, he says, those who care for you. What we see here is that pastoral and all other forms of Christian leadership starts with people being served. Leaders serve the people of God. I want you to imagine an escalator. One is going up and one is going down. A lot of times we in church world think that leadership means we're taking the up escalator and we're going to the second floor of the mall and we're taking it up. We're going up, 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 and it will be more leadership. It'll mean more influence. It'll mean more power. More people will like us and talk to us and this and that and the other. No, that is wrong. Church leadership is not taking the up escalator. Church leadership is taking the down escalator. We go down to the bottom level. We look at others. We assess what they need. We empathize them and we put their needs above our own. That is the core and foundation of church leadership. And none of us are perfect at it, but that's what we aim for at every level. Like we look to protect and watch over others and pastors are servant leaders. The third thing that we see about pastors is that pastors warn. Uh Uh-oh. Those, and it says in verse 12, it says, those who admonish you. The the Greek verb for admonish is notheteo. Can everyone say that? Just like the way I said it. Notheteo. Ready? Oh, yeah. So good. Oh, good. Or anyway, no theteo. That actually means to warn against bad behavior, to discipline, to reprove. And this is really hard to tell you. But you're not a Christian leader if the only thing you ever do is support someone's decisions and their lifestyles, even if those decisions and those lifestyles are self-destructive or destructive to other people. You're not a Christian leader if you simply agree or approve of everything another person does, even if that thing that they uh, do would injure themselves, their relationship with God, the covenants or the commitments that they've made to others. And you know, in this church, we talk about being a both and church, that we don't want to be either or, both and, both and. We're a both and church. But what we see here in this part of this verse is that God is a both and God. The God we gather around to worship each Sunday is both righteous and loving. His character is holy love. And I found in the nearly 15 years of church leadership and pastoring and working with people that the decisions that require me to uphold the righteousness of God, that's the hard part. Sure, everyone will support you if you uphold the love of God and everyone will feel affirmed and welcomed and everyone will just feel so warm and supported. But the decisions that I have to make to uphold the other side of God, his holiness, his righteousness, these are the things that make or become the make or break issues for Christian pastoring. They're the decisions that the Christian pastor feels totally alone in. Uh, and I believe it's the pastor's job first and foremost to represent God and who he is in both sides. He is a holy and loving God. And so what we do is we challenge and we confront and we warn, we admonish, we discipline, but we do it in love. And I just need to pause right here. Some of you are confrontational. Uh, And you're like really excited that I just talked about this. Maybe a little too excited. Slow your roll. So sometimes like when we were like, yeah, I just want to get in someone's face and something. You're messing. Well, for you, maybe you need to understand how to present that in a loving way. And maybe just telling someone the truth straight up without love comes through and you sound like a jerk. And maybe you should stop doing that. But for others of you, you want to you're worried about what people think. You just want to affirm and be kind. 
The way you can grow in your leadership is to find that balance where because you love someone, because you care about them, you actually tell them the truth. You admonish and you warn. That's really hard to do. But that's what Christian leaders are called to do. And I want to say this about Christian leadership in this church. We, at this church, Pacific City Church, leadership is open to all. All who have a sense of calling, all who have a sense of gifting, and all who have the character to be a leader. And our lead, like I said, our leadership is open. You don't have to have certain credentials. Some people in the room have a seminary degree. Others of us do not. Some of our leaders are men. Some of our leaders are women. Some of our leaders are white. Others are black. And some are Asian. Some of, this will be true of our community group leaders. We will have community group leaders that are all across the board. Leadership at Pacific City Church is open to all who got calls and gifts and who has the character to lead. And so we are committed in this church to multiplying and equipping leaders, not only here for this room, but for the city and for the world. So beyond leadership, what we see is that pastors just aren't responsible, but the church has responsibility too. And that's number three. The church has responsibility too. We look in verse 14. What does it say? It says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Here at Pacific City Church, we have a little expression uh, that describes our church family. We say at Pac City, everyone gets to play. We do not believe that being in this church means that you're in a spectator sport where the pastor is down on the field and all the church is up in the stands and they're cheering the pastor on and they're like, go pastor, run pastor, throw the ball pastor. You scored a touchdown. Oh, stupid pastor. You threw an interception. Let's fire this guy and get somebody else. Well, no, we believe that the model for you as you attend this church and partner with us is that you are down on the field and that you are supposed to play the game. And that we as church leaders and pastors, we're here to serve you and to coach you and run up and down the field, cheering you on, encouraging you, offering suggestions, bringing the team together. Everybody gets to play at Pacific City Church. And it's the church's job, not just the pastor's job, to bring correction to those that Paul labeled in this verse as idle and disruptive. It's the church's job, not just the pastor's job, to encourage the disheartened, to help the weak, to support people to go to hospitals and visit people in nursing homes, to bring meals to the sick, to sit down and counsel with the brokenhearted. And what we see here is that we need each other. I need you. I'm not going to do this by myself. You need me. We need each other. No one can become a Christian by themselves. No one can be converted by themselves. No one can preach to themselves unless you're down at the promenade and you're working on your mental health. No one can baptize themselves. No one can serve communion to themselves. No one, in fact, you can't even serve yourself at all. We need each other in this thing called the Christian life. Okay? So the church has responsibility too. But we also see that the the church makes uh, uh, peace and perseveres. Um, We see this in verse 15. It says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each of you and for everyone else. Rejoice, always pray, continually give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He talks about peace, purse making. He talks about peacemaking in verse 15. Don't pay back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good. And what a different view Paul has, the Apostle Paul has about church. 
Here, he's reiterating, again, the church's family. And many uh, 21st century Christians and Americans, we treat church like a commodity, like a service provider. And you go into the church and you buy religious products the same way you might go to a tire warehouse and buy some tires. And because the people think of the church as a commodity, it's no wonder that like when something happens that offends us, we leave and we find another church. Hey, if I go to a tire warehouse and I don't like their attitude or I don't like the way I'm being treated, I just never go there again. I buy my tires somewhere else. And Paul says here that the church is not a tire warehouse. It's not a Costco. It's not a Lululemon. It's not a Target. It's not a Whole Foods. The church is family. And brothers and sisters, if someone does something to you in your family that offends you, I hope that you wouldn't just leave your family. Unless your family is so destructive and abusive that in order for you or your children to be safe, you need to remove yourself from this situation. I'm not talking about that right now. I would hope that if someone just offended you, like you just wouldn't leave your family. You won't just say, well, it's time to get another family. She said something I didn't like, and it's time to start the search for a new family. No. If something happens to you that offends you in church, at Pacific City Church, if I say something you don't like, if someone in this room says something you don't like, what do we do? We talk it out. You talk with me. You send me an email, a really long one, single space. Um, you know, you, or you, do a, you create a Word doc, and you just type it out with no paragraphs. So I have no idea what's going on. You make the margins half inch, and you turn it into a PDF because you're worried maybe, they'll, maybe I'll change the words on you or something. So you're super, in this scenario, you really want to talk a lot, and you're paranoid of me. Um, but, you know, you're family, and I want you to feel connected. Um, and so we're family. Um, you talk it out, but you don't just leave. You work it out. We learn to be reconciled, just like a family would learn to be reconciled. And I found this is really hard, because I don't know if I like everyone at church. And I know you don't. But being reconciled is what makes us different. Pacific City Church is not a tire warehouse for a church. So in verse 16, he not only talks about, uh, you know, persevering and being connected. He, uh, well, he talks about persevering, actually, in verse 16. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Three times Paul uses the word always. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, always, all the time, all circumstances. This is God's will for you. Paul is describing the spiritual heart of the Christian church. And we Christians, we're different than everyone else in the world. We don't, well, at least we're supposed to be. And the reason, that, the thing that makes us distinct is we're not just supposed to rise and fall based on our circumstances. We're not like everyone else. We're elated when things go well, and then we're down in the dumps, just moping around when things don't go good, when things go poorly. You see, we Christians, what we do is we claim that we have something that can never be taken away from us. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ that can never be taken away from us. How can you possibly rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances? Because if you have received Christ in your life, Nothing can separate you from God's love, no matter what. No matter the things you've done, no matter the things you might be doing, no matter the things you're going to do, and no matter the things that have been done to you. 
Nothing can separate you from God's love. No height, nor depth, nor width. Nothing in this world can separate you from God's love. And so we are able to persevere. We're able to do things when it's hard. We're able to look at someone and shake their hand and hug them, even when it's difficult, because we know that we have something that hasn't been taken away from us. And so we look at that's, uh, that's making peace and persevering. So there's one more thing, though. This whole thing that we're talking about here, it's powered by God. Look at number five. It's uh, the church's power comes from God alone. Um, we see in verse 19 to 22, it says, do not put out the spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good or reject whatever is evil. And I love this text, everything we've been reading, because it speaks to the both and of our church, our both and approach that we've tr- tried to adopt in everything that we're doing. We're not just a church that likes the Bible and rejects what God is doing in the spirit. We're not just a spirit led church, but we love the Bible. We're both and we're not only just caring about what's happening in us personally and how we're developing, but we care about justice in our community, in our world. And sometimes when we go to church, it feels like an either or. Either you're all about personal morality or you're about justice in the community. We're trying to get away from that either or and become a both and where we care about how we're developing, but we also care about people in our community. We're trying to be a both and church. And this is another one of those both and things. He's talking about the spirit, the activity of the spirit. And the spirit does really interesting things. And we're not supposed to treat prophecies with contempt, but it also says we're supposed to test everything. So what is a prophecy? Prophecy is like when we think that we hear what God is saying. Uh, and so like what he's saying is that God wants to talk to us and that we should be listening for that. But at the same time, how do we tell the difference between the own voices in our head and God's voice? We test and to make sure that it is actually God. And, you know, I know that church is supposed to feel like a safe place. Uh, But it doesn't always need to be a safe place where everything runs like a German train schedule or like a Swiss watch. And I think it's because of mess and confusion that we want to try to control everything. But at every level in Pacific City Church, we want to create an expectation that God may want to do something that we weren't planning for. Like this, even in this room right now. Like what if God wants to do something that we weren't planning for? Would we have made room for him to do that? Well, this is why every week we invite people like in the front to come forward to respond is maybe God wants to do something. We say, Holy Spirit, come and do what you do. Heal people. Give us words of knowledge. Help us as we pray for each other in our corporate gatherings and when we meet in community groups and when we do things in our ministries. We're a both and church. We both welcome God's spirit, but we and mm, We both welcome God's spirit and we use discernment. We're a both and church. And here at Pacific City Church, we want to welcome God's spirit and we want to allow the God of surprises to surprise us. And we want to exercise good judgment and discernment trying to figure out what's from God and what's not. So I believe in the church. I believe that we're better together. I believe in the communion and the fellowship of saints. I believe in family church's family. I believe in the church's leaders. I believe uh, the church's responsibility to one another. I believe in the church's life. I believe in the church's power. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray. Will you stand with me?